Um, as we gather around God's Word again this morning, uh, we are going to continue in our Advent series, Come and Behold Him. And we're encouraging one another as we do this to get to the heart of the Christmas story, to get to the baby in the manger. Let's see him. Let's gaze upon him. And so we're seeking to gaze on him who came and consider, well, who is he and why does his coming matter? And so last week we thought about how Jesus came as the promised one. Everything about his coming, as we saw in Matthew 1 and chapters 1 and 2, everything about his coming was predicted. God had foretold it through the prophets. And so he had foretold who this baby would be, the identity of this baby, that he was to be born of the virgin. He was in the line of David. He was the Messiah. He is the Messiah. We're even given the locations of this baby, where the baby would spend time, where this young child would grow up, born in Bethlehem, spend some time in Egypt and make his home in Nazareth. And then primarily we were told why. Why did this baby have to come? The reason for the baby. He came in Matthew one twenty one to save his people from their sins. And so Jesus is the promised one. He is the savior of the world. Um, and one of those promises that we looked at last week is actually going to help unpack our message for this morning. In Matthew one twenty two and 23, as the angel explains Mary's pregnancy to Joseph and, and gives him some direction, we read this. All this took place to fulfill what the prophet had said, what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. They will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And, and as we hinted at last week, the baby in the manger is no ordinary baby. He is God with us. And those three words are, are easy to say, but I think they require a little bit of unpacking. God with us. God with us. Say it however you want. It is astounding. And so this morning we're going to help, or we're going to be helped to consider what it means that God has come. How the baby in the manger is the promised one, yes, and the baby in the manger is the divine one. He is divine, fully divine. And what does that mean for us? And today we're going to turn to John's gospel and we're going to read the first 18 verses of John's gospel. So John chapter 1, verses 1 to 18. And the reason why we're doing that is John introduces his gospel by introducing us to Jesus. And so the first chapter, certainly these first 18 verses are all about Jesus. That will come clear as we read through. And so as John introduces us to Jesus, let's hear what he says, what God says about his son through the words of John. And so if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to John chapter 1. And we'll read the first 18 verses. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet, to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, 
children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out saying, this is the one I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of all the fullness we have all, out of his fullness we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in the closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. Let's pray together as we turn to God's word. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your word as we read it now, your written word, and Lord, as we reflect on your word that became flesh. Father, would you teach us incredible truth about yourself? Uh, Help us to, to marvel at you and to be changed by you, Father. It's in your wonderful name we pray. Amen. This is a a deep passage. There's a lot to unpack here. Uh, But through these 18 verses, I I simply want us this morning to examine what John tells us about Jesus. And there can be no doubt that these 18 verses are about him. I counted over 30 references in these 18 verses to Jesus, whether that's through titles that are used, like the Word, the Light, the Son, or his name, Jesus Christ himself, or whether it's through the multitude of times we hear, hey, he, or him. This is all about Jesus. This is a passage all about him. And so as John introduces us to Jesus in this chapter, let's unpack what we learn about the nature of this man who we know to be God. Remember from Matthew's gospel, this is Emmanuel, God with us. So what we see described here of Jesus is a description of God, the nature and the characteristics of God, the God who has come, the word who has become flesh. And so we're going to think about God, what it means that God is here, that God has come. Then we will consider what it means that God came to be with us. And we'll finish off by considering how these verses show us almost like a mirror, how we consider us, the need that we have for God to come to be with us. God with us. And so let's firstly have a look at what God, uh, what John chapter 1 has to show us about the nature of God. And we see attributes of God peppered throughout these verses, don't we? Um, I'll, I'll not take time to unpack each and every one of these, but let's just look at this list as we move through the passage. So in verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word. The Word was with God, the Word was God. That word logos, meaning Word, this is the Word. This is not a Word that came from God as if he has spoken through the prophets. This is the Word, the message, the communication from God to the world. And who is it? It's Jesus. This is the God who communicates. The God who does not stand aloof, but the God who makes his way and his will known. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And then that wonderful verse in verse 14, the Word became flesh. The word did not stay theoretical. The word took on flesh and dwelt among us. This God is communicative. Jesus is eternal. As we see in the beginning in verse 1, in the beginning was the word. The word was there before there was anything. There was the word. There was God, the triune God. We'll get into that in a minute. The triune God was there before there was anything. There was God. After everything will be, there will still be God. He is eternal. He was with God in the beginning, verse 2 says. And then verse 15, 
as John is speaking, he says, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. This is the complexity of the language that John sometimes uses. John, the gospel writer, not John the Baptist, although John the Baptist is pretty complex too. But John is saying, John the Baptist is saying, this one, the one who's coming after me, he has surpassed me because he was eternally before me. Jesus is eternal. Jesus, God, is creative. Through him, verse 3, we read, through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. This word was the creative force that brought the entire universe into being. And then in verse 10, that he was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. God creates everything. Maybe speaks to us and reminds us of Colossians 1, 2, where we see that Christ has the supremacy. He was before all things, and through him all things were made. God is communicative. He's eternal. He's creative. He is life. Verse 4, in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The life of Jesus is the source of all light to mankind. Jesus is life. Jesus is light. In verse 5, the light that shines in the darkness and the darkness is not overcome it. In verse 9, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Jesus is light and that light expels darkness wherever it is and the darkness cannot overcome it. Jesus is knowable. He has made himself known. In verse 12, we read that to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. He offers relationship. He offers familial relationship. This is not just knowing about him. This is a welcome by him. He is knowable. And in the very last verse we read that no one has ever seen God in verse 18, but the one and only son who is himself God and is in the closest relationship with the father has made him known. If you want to know what God the father is like, look at his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus is knowable. Jesus is glorious. Verse 14, the word became flesh made its dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son. He is glorious, majestic, worshipped to be worshipped, worshipful. Jesus is glorious. He is truth. Verse 14, he came from the father full of grace and truth. And in verse 17, he grace and truth came through Jesus. He is truth and he is also grace in those verses. Verse 14 and verse 17. And then in verse 16, we also see that he came and has given us and from his fullness we have received grace in the place of grace already given. Jesus is grace. He is truth. He is triune. He is part of the Trinity. In verse 14, Jesus is the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father. And in verse 18, no one has ever seen God but the one and only Son who is himself God has made him known. Jesus is the second person of the Godhead. And that second does not denote some kind of lesser in value. But we have God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. Scripture's clear on that Trinitarian teaching. And it's complex. Our minds struggle to get our heads around it. That's because he is God and we are not. But he is trying. And now we have God made flesh. God the Son in human form. Jesus is greater. When John spoke, speaks, he says that this is the one who has surpassed me. He's not worthy to tie the straps of his sandals. And then in verse 16, the final one that we'll mention. Jesus is complete. 
We see in verse 16, out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. Jesus is the completeness, the fullness, the the all-satisfying nature that we need. And out of that and overflowing from that is grace in place of grace. God is communicative. He is eternal. He is creative. He is life. He is light. He is knowable, glorious, truth, gracious, triune, greater, complete, all-satisfying. This is God. And this is just a snippet of what the Bible shows us of this great, majestic, divine being. He is unmatchable. He is unquestionable. He is unfathomable. He is unpronounceable. (laughs) He is holy. He is pure. He is righteous. He is just. He is gracious. He is true. He is everlasting. This is our God. And this is the God who has come to be with us. John 1 is helping us here to expand our understanding of the mightiness and the enormity of this awesome God. And that is a good thing because we are so prone to reducing our understanding of God into something we can grasp, into something we can grab in our hand, stick in our pocket and carry with us. But actually, if we have a a vision of God, if we believe in a God that we can understand, if we believe in a God that we can master, if we believe in a God that we can control with ease, a God who makes no demands of us, then what kind of God is that? It is not the God of Scripture. It is not the God who has come in the baby in the manger. You see, we, we need to recognize the enormity of this God, the greatness of this God. And when we do, th- then don't we stand back and marvel even more at the fact that this God has come? This God has come. And so this is the God who has come to be with us. Let's consider what it means that this God has come to be with. See, the Bible shows us that this majestic God makes himself known throughout all of Scripture, yes. Makes himself knowable. And we see the Bible describing this God in such enormous ways that we cannot comprehend. Yet because of his zealous love for his creation, he comes to be with He is not removed. He is not untouchable. He's not so incomprehensible that he's just out there somewhere, never to be grasped. No, he has revealed himself to us. And he's revealed himself in a way that only he can. He has come to us without reducing or diminishing anything about the nature of being divine. So the baby in the manger is not less divine than when he was in heaven. That's the wonder of Christmas. doesn't seem to make sense. Those of us who've held tiny newborn infants know the dependence, the vulnerability. And yet as Mary cradled him, she cradled the divine one. Emmanuel, God with us. Verse 14 makes this so eloquently clear, doesn't it? The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. That same word, The word who was there in the beginning, the word who was with God, the word who was God, verse 1. That word made his dwelling among us. Takes on flesh, steps into the world that he created. And so he, this, this God... The one who we've been trying to celebrate, the one who we've been trying to wrap our heads around as, as, as finitely as our minds can. This is the God who has come to be with. 
And perhaps we just need to settle there for a while this Christmas, maybe even for a moment this morning. Appreciate the enormity of the reality of the God who has come. This God. He has come to be with. He's not removed, he's present. He's not theoretical, he comes in practice. He's not coming in some sheltered or partial way. No, he comes fully to be with his people. What great humility and love that this shows. Uh, and if you've been following along with our Advent devotional, it is, it's entitled, Love Came Down. That's exactly what we celebrate this morning. Love in its purest, biggest, most true form came down to be with us. And we see it described here in John 1, and we also see it beautifully at the pen of Paul when he's writing his letter to the Philippians. Speaking of Jesus, he says in Philippians 2, verse 6 and 7, Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. He made himself nothing. He stooped down to take the very nature of a servant, being made in human form and cradled in a manger. This same word, the eternal, creative, life-giving, sovereign light of the world, wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. This is remarkable. And we need to recognize the complex reality that Jesus is fully God, as I've said. He is fully God and fully human. There's no diminishing of either nature. He's not half God, half man. No, fully God, fully man. And I don't claim to understand that all, but I know the Bible is clear in that truth. And I know that it is only because that he is fully God that he can live the sinless life that he then did. It's only because he's fully man that he can understand our temptations and trials in Hebrews 4.15. Therefore, it's only because he's fully man and fully God that he can fully offer salvation. He can take the punishment of sin upon himself, yet he can overthrow death and rise victorious from the grave, defeating sin and death. Only fully God and fully man can do that. It's why we read in 2 Corinthians 5.21 that God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Only God could do that. Only God could make that way and deal with the full and final penalty of sin, yet that had to be taken by a man. And sin placed upon the world, sin placed upon him. He fully satisfied the penalty of sin, and he could only do that as fully man. So God is, Jesus is fully God, fully man, This is mind-blowing, but goodness, it is graciously good news. Because this God comes to meet our greatest need. And our greatest need is to know him. And to meet that need, he comes to us. He comes to us. And so let's finally consider what it means that he has come indeed to us. He didn't just come to the world. He came specifically to be with us. And so let's consider why we need him to come, but also what his coming offers. As John 1 shows, and we've referenced it already in our service, that Jesus is the light, 
And that light is needed because the world is in darkness. And that biblical language is talking about the light of purity and the darkness of sin. And so there is light. Where there is light, there is holiness, there is perfection, there is spiritual and eternal life. Where there is darkness, there is sin, there is wrongdoing, there is eternal death. And so we see in verse 5 that the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus is the source of that light and that he can drive out the darkness. The light cannot be extinguished. And Jesus has the power to bring that light of his life and expel the darkness of sin. And what this means for us then we see in verse 12. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And so when we receive him, when we believe in his name, and remember his name from Matthew 1, you will call him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. His name means the Lord saves. And so to believe in his name means to believe in his message of salvation. To those who receive him and believe in his name, he gives family access to God. Not as verse 13 goes on to say because of anything that we warrant that gift not because of our merit that we've kind of conjured up in our own good deeds no 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 god comes to bring life and we are born not of anything else but of him born of god and so in other words as jesus explains to nicodemus in chapter 3 god brings new life into the hearts of those who trust in jesus he's the one who brings grace and truth to those who trust in him as savior because he's the one who gave himself up for his people. He's the one who laid his life down as a sacrifice for sin so that those who come, those who believe in him, those who trust in him, may know freedom from the sin that so entangles them. It's why Philippians 2 graciously goes on to say, and being found in appearance as a man, this is verse 8 to 11 of Ephesians 2, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross, Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus humbled himself to death on a cross so that in his name, every knee should bow, every tongue confess that he is Lord. It's what we see so clearly, again, as Jesus continues to talk to Nicodemus and, and then that conversation finishes and then John says for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him God gave his son to save and so Jesus is is not just the baby in the manger he is the savior of the world He's not just another newborn. He is divine. He is God with us. He is God, the unmatchable, infinite, holy, eternal God. He is the God who comes with. He becomes flesh. He makes his dwelling among us. And he continues to do so by faith. As we come to trust in him as our Lord and Savior, he makes his dwelling in us now by his Spirit. And so we see the Trinity in action. It's God the Father sends the Son. The Son takes the penalty of sin upon himself so that those who believe in him are then indwelt by the Spirit to live a life that glorifies him. God with us. God sent his Son so that we would know the gift of his salvation. 
you will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So as we gaze once again at the baby in the manger, we see that, yes, he is the promised one. He is the one who was foretold. He is the savior that was coming. And he can be that savior because he is more than just a man. He is fully divine. And as mind-boggling as this may seem to us, this is good news. As the angel said, this is good news that will cause great joy for all the people. And so shall we pray together as we thank him for coming. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you that in your love, by your grace, you sent your Son into the world. And out of all of the ways you could have done that, Father, you sent him as the babe in the manger. And all we give you praise. We thank you, Father, for sending him, the one that you promised, the one who would come to take the sins of the world. And so we thank you for the wonderful gift of Jesus. And we thank you for the reminder we have regularly, not just at Christmas time, but even as we gather around the table, we thank you for the reminders that you've given us that you have indeed sent your son so that those who believe in him may have eternal life with our sins forgiven. And so we praise your name. And we pray, Father, that as we celebrate Christmas once again, you would help us to very consciously gaze at the baby in the manger and see him not just as a word who came, but the word who came. See him as not just someone else's saviour, but see him as my saviour, as my Lord. And so would you help us, Father, to believe in you, to trust in you, to receive you, and therefore have the right to become children of God as you name us. It's in your wonderful name and for your eternal glory we pray. Amen.